Listen, I want to join with the rest of uh, people across the U.S. to pay tribute to those who have given their lives uh, to preserve and protect our freedoms. This is Memorial Day weekend here in America. And my real challenge to those of us who are uh, the heirs of this great nation, let's make sure we do our part. Let's be great stewards of those who gave their lives who paid the ultimate sacrifice. Let's be great stewards of their great sacrifice. Let's pray. God, I pray and give thanks for those who died that we might have this nation and have the freedoms that we have. Help us to be good stewards. Secondly, I pray for family members who are grieving the loss of loved ones. Would you bring comfort to them? And lastly, work a miracle in the teaching of this message. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Listen, God wants to do greater things in your life. That's the focus of this series. And we're teaching through the book of Acts. So we got a lot of work to do. So let's get started. Chapter 12, verse 1. Here's what Luke, who writes this passage, here's what he says. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, happens to be the brother of John, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people who... He also arrested Peter, verse 6. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Other soldiers stood guard in the prison gate. Suddenly, there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. An angel struck him on the side to awake him and said, Quick, get up. The chains fell off of Peter's wrist. Then the angel told him, God... Get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. And so Peter left the cell following the angel. All the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize that it was actually happening. There is the reading. Today I want to take some time and teach on a subject that the church doesn't say a lot about. We do a lot of teaching on a whole lot of subjects. We say very little about domestic violence. And God has laid it on my heart to take some time today to really speak to this issue. Number one, because since we've been sheltered in place just here in America, the domestic violence hotline receives at least 2,000 calls a day for people who are trying to find help who are living sheltered in the midst of abusive situations. And that's all over the country, reflected all over the country. The professionals believe that the real number is two to three times higher. I'll point this out because the fact of the matter is this breaks God's heart. His heart breaks to find somebody trapped in the midst of abuse. He loves you if you're in the midst of abuse right now. He loves you and he wants to set you free. His heart breaks when he looks at the person who's abusing. He loves you, and he wants to set you free. He wants greater for you. The challenge is that as the church remains quiet, it makes it hard for people who really need help to speak up. So that's the first reason I believe God has laid this on my heart. The second reason I believe God has laid this on my heart, because there's some real practical lessons here for all of us. First of all, if you are dating you just need to know the patterns that can lead to either you're ending up being the abused or the abuser. 
Secondly, uh, next, if you're a man, there's a role and responsibility that you have when it comes to shaping how men and boys around you think about women. And you may even be married or dating a woman who's had some abuse in her history because one out of every three women have experienced either sexual or physical abuse. And you may not know it, but the very thing that's at the heart of the problem that you guys can't seem to fix may be her abuse that she hasn't talked to you about. And lastly, all of us, either we now know someone or we will who's a family member or a neighbor or a friend or a colleague who's actually in the midst of this stuff, just maybe God can use us to be a blessing, an instrument of help or healing. So I don't want you to pull back. I don't want you to walk away from the screen. I want you to lean in because God is calling us to join with him as he speaks to folk who are trapped to say, I love you. and I want to see you delivered. Now, we read this text. And this text is informative. Actually, if you read the first verse in the Revised Standard Version, we'll discover that King Herod really is, uh, has a lot to teach us about the profile of an abuser. The New Revised Standard Version renders the first verse by saying this. It says, at about this time, King Herod laid violent hands upon some who were part of the church. Violent hands. And when we look very closely at King Herod's life, we'll find out there's three things that stand out. Number one, he's narcissistic. That means that he's at the center of his own world. And he basically, his only use for people is to use people for himself. Secondly, he's horribly insecure. And thirdly, uh, he's a master manipulator of people. And you can actually see all this in the first three verses, right? Uh, uh, first of all, keep in mind, that his friend Claudius, when he becomes emperor of Rome, Claudius, Claudius takes Herod, who was born in Judea, but who was sent at the age of six to grow up all by himself in Rome, which is a lot of trauma and all that's attached there, right? He now appoints Herod to be the, 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 the ruler, the Roman ruler over the Jewish people in Palestine. So in other words, Herod... <laughs> Uh, is, is, the, uh, is the expression of the Roman oppressive power as he's oppressing the Jewish people. And yet, he was born in Judea, and so the, what he really wants is for his Judean people to love him. Uh, let me put it another way. The person who's abusing the people want the people that he's abusing to love him. Hmm? And so he creates an accurate profile of a person who ends up being abusive. Now, let me introduce you to a woman whose name is Dr. Christine Coleman. She's a founding partner of New Beginnings Community Church. She's been a therapist for 13 years. Matter of fact, she participated on a mental wellness panel with, with us, and uh, myself and a number of folk. Just last week, we've got that attached to our website. Some really great information. I encourage you to go check that out. But when you look at her, first glance, what you're going to see is a successful professional woman who's a therapist. She's married to a fabulous husband. She's got two great kids, and that's an accurate picture. But if you pull back the pages uh, to her life story, you will be shocked to discover that uh, Dr. Coleman is a survivor of domestic violence. 
Now, while it is true that there are some men who are victims of domestic violence, the vast majority happen to be women. So I'm going to use that as our context for talking. She's given me permission to share her story. And as she begins to talk about her story, she says, listen, she was raised by two generations of very strong and industrious and wonderful women, her grandmother and her mom. Her mom is a therapist. The downside of that was there were no fathers in her life, no grandfather and no father. And later she points out that by the time she became a woman in her 20s, she found that she was super insecure. Now, she didn't say this, but this is my, uh, my summary of it. That oftentimes when kids grow up without their dad, particularly girls, and if the dad is still alive, the girl ends up asking, how come dad doesn't want me? How come men do not want me? And so that set her up. So here's a, just a basic insight. Beware of being super insecure. It sets you up to be manipulated, whether by an abuser or whoever. Be aware of your insecurities. So her King Herod showed up in her life. She said he was uh, devonair, he was good looking, and he convinced her he wanted her. And as a result, they started a relationship. A few months uh, in, she got a call from a woman who asked her why was Dr. Coleman dating this woman's boyfriend. When she confronted her King Herod, he lied about it, said they, that this was an ex. And so she leaned in. Now, let's go back to the text. There's two insights here in the first three verses that I want to call your attention to. I want you to pay really close attention to. The first is I want you to pay attention to the escalation of violence. In verse 2, it says that King Herod actually has James killed, right? And because he didn't get a negative response, but rather a positive response, he decided to escalate it. James was on the leadership team for the church. Peter was leading the church. So he decided to go to the top and arrest and kill Peter. Escalation of violence. Second thing I want you to note is that had you asked King Herod, why did you arrest Peter? I'm sure that King Herod would have said something like this. Well, you know, the Jews, the, my, my Jewish colleagues, they arrested him months ago and they told him to stop preaching about this Jesus who died and rose again. But he just kept preaching and kept preaching. And now this community called the church is growing and is threatening the power of the Jewish community, which is threatening the stability in my kingdom. So had he just did what they asked him to do, I wouldn't have had to arrest him. In other words, it's Peter's fault that I'm arresting him and about to kill him. It's his fault. Dr. Christine points out that she lived out these realities. As months transpired, she saw more and more signs that perhaps her King Herod was still in a relationship with this other woman. And so she would confront him. And first he would say that she was making things up, that she was jealous, that she was being not reasonable. And then filled with rage, he would explode and he would say to her, you're making me mad, you're making me angry, stop doing that. He'd start drinking, he would say she was forcing him to drink. And then finally, violence began to slip in too. You know, he starts with a push and then pulling her hair and then finally ends up choking her. The escalation of violence. Here's a real quick insight if you're dating. Listen, the first time somebody makes you feel unsafe, you got to call that out. And you got to say, that's not acceptable. And if, if, if it happens again in any form of violence, you got to exit that relationship. The person has already shown you who they are. Listen, here's the deal. If somebody shows you who they are, 
believe it. Whether you're talking about abuse or whatever, you see it, believe it, exit. And so he showed her who, she was, who he was. Now, here's something that's interesting about the text. If you pay attention to it, because the question, the text says that when King Herod arrested Peter, he put him in maximum security, four squads of soldiers. And a squad was made up of four soldiers. In other words, Peter was chained to one soldier to his right, another soldier to his left, in the cell with him, and there was two soldiers standing outside guarding the prison door, cell door. And then they would rotate, right? Now, you might ask the question, why Dr. Christine would stay in such a relationship? She stayed there for two years. Well, Dr. Christine would suggest that there's a couple of reasons for her. Number one, let me point out that the trauma and woundedness in the life of the abuser (laughs) both makes the abuser dangerous and attractive at the same time. What do you mean? Well, the abuse comes out of that brokenness. But when he opens up his life to you, it means Uh, at least Dr. Christine said, (laughs) it felt like she could fix it. So when she started dating him, he was living with his mom. He wasn't working. He wasn't going to school. She had her own place. She was going to school and she was working. She got him to move in with her, right? She found out about his trauma. She encouraged him to go to school and get a job. And and he started making steps of progress. And she began to feel like, wow, I'm fixing him. I'm healing him. And with that, she got pulled deeper and deeper. Another reason she said that she stayed is because of what, how she interpreted the church's teachings on forgiveness. And her Christian friends would say to her, you know, can you forgive him? And he would say to her, won't you forgive me? And she thought forgiveness meant the same thing as staying. So I just want to clear up that theological ambiguity. Forgiveness does not mean staying. You can forgive and leave. Why don't you say this with me? Forgive and leave. Actually, what really happens is you leave, start to heal, and then you forgive. Why? Because Peter was in prison in the text. What a great analogy. Uh, And God sends deliverance to Peter to get him out of prison. God doesn't want you to be in prison. He doesn't want your life to be endangered. You deserve more than being daily and regularly wounded and ridiculed. Now, I want to suggest there were four soldiers guarding uh, Peter. The question comes, why doesn't the lady just leave? Well, Dr. Christine has given you a couple of reasons. Let me give you four other things that usually tie women down. And, and the reason I'm talking about women, not that some men doesn't get abused. That's, they, they, they do. But by and large, it's men abusing women. So that's why I'm using this context. The first thing that often ties women down, binds them, to, to locks them in prison, is uh, this notion of coercion. Here's what it looks like. The person has promised and delivered on hurting you. And so from, from that point forward, all he has to do is to threaten you, and that's enough to coerce you, right? Or you get ready to leave, the person says, if you leave, I'm going to commit suicide. Or the person says, if you leave, I'm going to keep the kids. Holds you back. The second thing that ties people down uh, is intimidation. The 
The person is smashing furniture and stuff around you, destroying your property, right? You walk home one day, and you walk in the house, and he's cleaning his gun. Intimidation. The third thing is just emotional abuse that, 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 that he puts you through. This is the person that's always telling you, uh, the only person in the world that wants you is me. If you leave me, you're going to be by yourself. This is the, he's always cursing, calling you all kinds of names. He's humiliating you publicly. He's, he's trying to convince you you're crazy. Everything to beat you down and force you to believe that you're not worthy of a healthy life. The fourth thing that ties women down is isolation. He controls who you can see, who you can't, where you can go, where you can't go, who you can talk to, you can't talk, what you can read, what you can't read. He said, look, you can't be involved in a lot of activities outside of our house. Uh, he's, he, he suggests because he's jealous, right? But the reality is he's keeping you cut off from possible avenues of help, keeping you locked into this secret. He's keeping you in prison. But I want you to hear today, God is saying to you, if this happens to be you, that he wants to deliver you from prison. Now, the text becomes insightful here. It says that some point in the late night that the angel of God shows up in the prison and shines a light. In other words, turns on the light. But the only person to see the light is Peter. The other guards, they stay asleep. And it says that he nudges Peter. Peter wakes up and then he begins to, I think he's actually whispering, whispering some instructions to Peter. Get up, dress yourself. And as Peter gets up, the chains fall off of his, his wrists. And as he follows the instructions, ultimately he ends up outside of the prison, totally shocked that it could happen. A miracle. A miracle. Dr. Christine, when you ask her, she says that she heard the whisper of God at the very beginning of this relationship. When she first got involved with her King Herod, God whispered to her, that's not what I have for you. The deeper she got, the louder the whisper became, but she ignored it. Are you ignoring a whisper of God? And then she says, but one night the light came on. It was as though the Holy Spirit nudged her. Like the angel touched Peter in the side and encouraged her to Google her boyfriend, which she did. She found out that out, on, out there online was a registry that had been set up for his new baby with the woman. In that moment, the light came on. She realized for two years, he's been lying to me, been manipulating me. And she finally concluded, I can't heal him. I can't fix him. And she followed the instructions of the angel. She got up. She got herself together. She exited the relationship. She heard the whisper. She saw the light. I want to challenge somebody who's listening to me right now. Hear the whisper. See the light. What is God trying to tell you and show you? Whether it's about abuse or even other things. Lastly, I want to point out that Peter's escape came the day before his trial and execution. In other words, had he remained in prison just a few more hours, he would have ended up prematurely dead. He would have been killed. Now, I make this point because statistics tells us that 82% of the women who end up uh, murdered in homicides 
that 82% of them are killed by their intimate partners. There's an 8 out of 10 chance that if you stay with the person who's abusing you, you're going to end up prematurely dead. Dr. Christine, as I bring this to an end, she shares her story as it, as it reached her conclusion, an apex, moment of miracle. She got out of that relationship. Months down the road, she comes to her car after leaving a friend's house one evening, and her ex is sitting under the driver's seat. Turns out he had kept a set of keys that she'd given him a couple years earlier. She asked him to move, and he refused to. He was fully drunk, inebriated. A fight broke out. Next thing she knew, he grabbed her by her hair and threw her in the street. She landed on her head. Thanks be to God, there was some messengers, some other angels that were around. Some folk intervened, and, and one of them had to be a police officer and restrained him. And others called more police officers. And she says she shudders to think what would have happened to her that night. She, in other words, what she was saying is she could have been killed that very night. And had she been killed, I want you to look at this photo. She would have missed out on all of the greater that God has for her. And look at those beautiful kids. They would have not been a reality. That fabulous husband you see there, Matt, who's an amazing husband, she would have missed out on all of that. And she says that uh, months earlier, God has shown her a picture and a, and a kind of a vision of the husband that, that he was preparing her for. And, 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 and so I'm showing you this picture so that you can see a picture of what God has for you. And just as a broader teaching point, get this, check this out. She reminds us now as she's a therapist working with women and girls in particular, helping them to gain power over their lives. She reminds us how God can take uh, horrible things in our lives and turn them around and use them to help us to become a blessing in the lives of other people. You allow God to do that in your life. And so, uh, what am I trying to say here as I bring this to a conclusion? First of all, uh, I want to say that if you're a woman that's trapped in abuse, God is saying he wants to deliver you. So there's a phone number on the screen right now that I want to encourage you to call. And there's some resources on our website I want to encourage you to explore. You don't have to stay in prison. God has greater for you. And if you're a King Herod figure, right, if you're the abuse, per the person that's doing the abuse, I, I need you to hear that, that. I want you to look at this picture. And I want you to see uh, her husband, Matt. Now, listen, Matt was never a King Herod. But you, you can become a Matt, a, a healthier man who, who can be a wonderful husband and a wonderful father, creating a safe environment for your family. I'm thinking now about a fellow who I love very, very dearly. He came out of war, and as a result, the first, between the first 15 years of his adult life, he ended up using drugs, a horrible abuser and domestic violence. He was the abuser, ended up in jail. Came out on the other side of that, and he realized his life was out of control. He couldn't fix himself. He surrendered himself, his life to a power greater than himself. That power was named Jesus Christ. 
He received the grace and forgiveness that came. Then he was empowered by Jesus to take some steps to pursue healing in his life. And ultimately, he ended up as uh, remarrying and became a fabulous husband and wonderful dad to both his new set of his stepkids and and the kids from his previous relationship. And a man that I love dearly to this day. See, if you're King Herod, you can become a man. God can help you. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. Listen, I want to challenge you just to surrender your life to a power greater than yourself. That's Jesus, right? And then I want to challenge you to call the number that's on the screen and ask them, is there a, an organization close to you called a Battered Intervention Prevention? And, um, and let them help you. So, as we leave, bring this to an end. And for the rest of us, let's make sure we're in a position to be angels. To help those who may need our help if the time comes. It might mean that you simply send this link to somebody. It might mean that you make a phone call next time you hear a horrible noise next door. But God has called us all to do our part. Amen. Okay. So I want to encourage you to take some next steps. Uh, There's a connection card on the website and in the app. If you haven't said yes to Jesus, this is the time to do that. But I want you to look at the response to the message. And I want you to uh, make the commitment. If you're willing to take a step forward, just simply write, I'll do my part. So if you are... And a person who's being abused, doing your part is calling the number that's on the screen, going to our website, looking at the information that we have there. On the other hand, if you are an abuser doing your part, is calling the same number, asking about the organization I told you, and surrendering your life to a power greater than yourself, and that's Jesus Christ. If you're the rest of us, doing your part means maybe sending this link to somebody that you know that needs to hear the message. Either the abuser or the abused. Doing your part means uh, if you hear of anything like this, you figure out is there a role for you to play to turn the light on and to help that person hear the whisper of God through you. If you're willing to do your part just right, I will do my part. Or check yes on the connection card. And I'll see you next week. In the meantime, know that God wants to do greater in your life. Hey, listen, I hope you were blessed, and I got two really quick things. One is we, we are celebrating graduations next weekend, so make sure you join us. Make sure you send us the name of the graduate that's in your life that you want us to celebrate. Secondly, take a picture of the two reflection questions that we have. I want you to work them through. Have you ever found yourself in the position of the abuser or the abused in a relationship? And if so, what steps did you take uh, to exit? And then lastly, is there a whisper from God that you are not responding to. See you next week.